Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is July the 21st, 2023, a Friday. Yesterday, I did a show with my old friend, uh, Tom Hartman. He's America's number one progressive talk show host and a prolific writer. He has a new book out, The Hidden History of American Democracy. And he made an interesting observation uh, in our conversation. He suggested that uh, research notes that animals are as democratic as we are and that the organization of all forms of other species from uh, the big beasts to fish is democracy. They all follow each other and they do what the majority of them determine. It was an interesting observation. I, what I should have asked him is what happens to minorities in the animal world, but that's another question. Um, the theme of animals and what we can and can't learn from them is a very persistent theme in this show. We've done many many, many shows, many interesting conversations on what we humans can learn from other species. One with Carl Safina on learning humility. Uh, another with Ed Yong, the prize-winning Atlantic writer on learning empathy. Um, and another with Jackie Higgins, a distinguished uh, naturalist on what we can learn about our senses. Mostly writers seems to think that... Um, what we can learn above all else is our ignorance. Uh, we did a great show with Justin Gregg that uh, suggests that animal intelligence actually reveals human stupidity. That seems to be a meme, if you like, these days in the 2020s. And we did a show also with Laleen Paul, who, um, who uh, we talked to about language and what would other species tell us if they could talk? Perhaps we might reverse that and say, what would we say to a, other species if they could understand what we were saying? We actually did a show on that with Karen Backer, uh, a Canadian uh, scientist who believes that we're developing digital technology that will allow us to talk to the animals like digital Dr. Doolittle's. My guess that my uh, my guess is that my guest today on the show, uh, uh, Keggy Karu, she has a new book out, Beastly: A New History of Animals and Us, might suggest that if we could talk to the animals, our first words would be sorry, sorry for all the terrible suffering we've inflicted on you. Uh, but I don't want to put words into uh, Keggy's mouth. She's joining us from uh, a Welsh farmhouse north of Fishcart, as I said to her earlier, just where I expected her to be. Okay, if we could indeed talk to the animals as uh, other species, as uh, Karen Backer um, suggests we might be able to do with new technology, would the first word we articulate, the appropriate word, would it be sorry? It might be. It might be sorry. Um, and we would also have to say uh, we got it very wrong or we misled each other from a long way back. I mean, I think that our relationship started to um, split uh, 
about 12,000 years ago. I mean, we, we merrily hunted uh, for in the 30,000, we hunted the mammoths out, for instance, in 30,000 years ago. But I think when our relationship really started to fracture was when we went farming and we started to sort of corral our beasts into these sort of warm living larders, which we suddenly had to protect. And then we suddenly found we had a whole load of enemies that we didn't necessarily have before, the predators from insects to, you know, Asiatic lions. And um, that's when everything started to go wrong for animals, at least. And also for us, because we didn't understand their incredible ecological roles and their importance, uh, let alone who they were or what they were. Um, we you know, put ourselves at the top of the tree and we, yeah, we were not a branch of the evolutionary tree. We were the pinnacle. Um, and it's had problems. We've had problems with our understanding of animals ever since. So I thought I'd better. Um, I mean, when I looked at some of the challenges that we're facing today, all roads seem to go back to our um, paradoxical relationship with the animal world. So I thought I'd better try and untangle this and write a book about it. So. Um... Can it all go back to a certain Greek and uh, with, who begins the, the, the A name Greek, uh, Aristotle? A lot of people look back to Aristotle for wisdom, foundations of democracy and justice and ethics. But for you, Aristotle seems to represent the man who created the very tree, the illusion of humans being on top of some sort of hierarchy. He did. He was, he, he I mean, the, the, the story is so fascinating because there's so many paradoxes and contradictions because Aristotle was also possibly the first proper zoologist who really observed animals. I mean, it's astonishing, I think, to think that in 350 BC, Aristotle observed the sperm-presenting arm of the octopus, right? Yet 2,000 years later, um, Edward Topsell, a clergyman, wrote a book called uh, Four-Footed Beasts 2,000 years later and categorised beasts into three, into three categories, uh, tame and wild, edible and inedible, useful and useless. So that's how far we got in 2,000 years. And yet Aristotle had made some extraordinary um, observations, but he did believe that you know everything was made for the purpose of man and um so that that is how he arranged his great chain of being right up to right up to man Women is there an alternative shall we say i mean aristotle wasn't a formal christian but he's been no. used by later christians particularly aquinas to build a sort of a, a rational christianity yeah. is there an alternative theology if that's the right word to aristotle from antiquity the Bible, for example, or well, other thinkers, whether they're from classical antiquity or other civilizations? Well, you know, this Tao philosophy had a completely different, um, and it was an ancient philosophy, had a very, very different idea about animals and how incredibly important they were. And they did understand um, how not to mess with even the little bugs in, 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 in the soil because something, you know, was going to go wrong. So they, they had a very different, but it just hasn't, it didn't win out. Um, one could maybe take on capitalism for that. We, we had a new religion when that came along, but for a long time, there were 
peoples in, in the world that, that lived reasonably well with the animal world. I mean, we've always eaten, you know, we're like them. We have a kind of, we're tribal with a mindset. So we, we are stuck in our ways. We, um, you know, we've lived by eating animals and, uh, some religions, but particularly the Abrahamic religions, were really, really problematic. I think for the animal world. Um, and well, what about? And 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 correct me if I'm being too vulgar here, um, Keggy. I mean, what about the, the 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 vulgar Darwinian argument? Maybe Darwin wouldn't have made it, but some sort of Darwin, vulgar Darwin, Darwinians would that life is a struggle to survive and to survive we had to eat the animals and it was us or them otherwise they would have eaten us well the thing about it is is that humans we always played above our natural capacities because we used our big brains to outwit our natural um abilities so we invented tools and it's just that the, 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 the problem with tools is they got better and better and better and we were able to um play a game that just didn't fit the, the world of animals where, for instance, a predator would keep the herbivores in check and the herbivores, every, there was a sort of a balance and that there was always a dynamic flux with all sorts of things connected to, you know, there was bad luck. Some There were some seasons where the, there was no food and things died out, but there was a general balance. And when we came along, we just flipped that. So things became out of balance. And with whether it was our machinery, our tools, our chemicals, we flipped those balances so far now that our ecosystems are breaking down. So, um, you know, it, it humans we just play much way above our weight. Um, but some people might say, when I say some people might say, usually as a euphemism for me saying what I would say, um, that when you say play above our weight, nobody else invented tools. No other species really has the technology we have from wheels to weapons to AI. So, so why are we playing above our weight? Is that some sort of is well, that it, a reflection of your conception of the natural order? Well, I'm not saying that we're doing it for a reason. I mean, we just are. I mean, we just we're we're just very very clever. Um, <laughs> we're just very very clever. That's the big eh? brains, right? So that's that's our brains, our big brains. You said, yeah, we've got our big brains. But it's coming back to bite us because we haven't been that clever. So we're so clever about what we've been able to do and make our life very, very comfortable. And we've gone, explored it. You know, we've, we've, we've done so much. What an extraordinary animal we are. But what's happening now is we're destroying the planet that we need to survive. And what we haven't understood is, and that, this is the thing I think, about beastly, the most important thing is what we haven't understood is how important animals our are, um, and what we need to do to um, restore the planetary system, the life support systems that we need to survive. But also, we haven't really understood. There's a thing called Umwelt, which was um, a very interesting. Uh, Austrian called Jakob von Utsku came up with this idea of looking at animals, not whether who's the cleverest, who's the fastest, who's the who's the um, you know strongest, 
um, the most the, who, who's the best predator, but more looking at each animal within their own sensory, unique sensory world. Because everything, I mean, the great the great um, Alexander von Humboldt was one of the first people that un, that really understood how everything was interrelated, interconnected to everything else. And so, as clever as we are as clever as and as brilliant engineers as we are and we're we're not as good as beavers as as hydrologists of the land we're not (laughs) they're much better at it than we are um and we have just not realized that we're in this very very fine dynamic system and that we're related and we all species need other species so if we continue to wipe all these species out, we're going to be in deep trouble. Um, and one of particularly with insects, the invertebrate world, if we continue sloshing the chemicals around in, at, at the rate that we are, we lose our soil. Without our soil, we don't have anything. But the problem is, is even though we know this, we're not responding to that, that knowledge. And that's a real problem. You had an interesting piece, I think, in association with Beastly, um taken from it in time magazine animals can save us if we let them that's the the argument in the book do you think they'd want to save us or, or is that the wrong question to ask i'm not sure they wouldn't want to save us i would i'm sure they wouldn't want to save us but we are all interrelated and you know i think that we definitely need them and they need each other and all species need other species so without um without insects to pollinate, without herbivores to defecate and and fertilize and scatter seed and aerate the soil and without predators to keep them in check and without all the myriad of different species in between, these things start breaking down. And, you know, mussels, uh, I think what they're one of the, the most endangered species in America. I think they they filter the river systems and the waters and this, you know. So to lose and they do an incredible job out. They do an incredible job of it, and it's just that we've pushed everything to beyond its own capacity to to to, to function, and and we're seeing the results of it now. You know all the the. the the wildfires, the pandemics, um, uh, starvation, well, the areas of deforestation. And so we're seeing all these, you know, huge human cha- these challenges to our, our world. And if we understood the animal world better, or if we had understood the animal world better, then so many of these challenges would not have been there in the first place because we would have, first of all, protected their habitat for them to 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 live in in with the things that they need space like us mate partners to mate with the genetic diversity you know food shelter so if we learn to share a bit better we wouldn't be in the in the in the state that we we're in especially in the sea if you think about the sea yeah we just, we've done we've done yeah, a number we've, of uh, shows on on the sea pollution yeah we've just uh, taken... your book is you call it a new history of animals and us beastly there are some narratives being put forward and we've had people on the show suggesting that there's a huge difference between how we modern industrialized western types and native societies view animals and nature do you buy that 
Um, or are Native societies, Native Americans, for example, uh, ultimately are they as responsible, may not have quite our technology, but they were also in the business of, of, of wiping out animals when they could. They did. They did wipe out animals. Um, it, you know, we can't deny that. The, 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 uh, Moa, when the Maoris landed in New Zealand, we, there were a lot of species that disappeared quite quickly. Um, wherever we go, I think, you know... Yeah, I mean, you've got this, this rather, rather dark quote, wherever we showed up, dark uh, extinctions followed. So we yes. humans, we're responsible for extinctions, whether we're the Maoris or the, or the Americans. We can be. I mean, I think that there's some some uh, some native peoples who, who who really have lived very very well or, or sustainably. I mean, that's a difficult word too because people misuse it now. But it it I think that there are um, there have been societies that have lived very very well. They haven't been, you know, um, they haven't been. They've been small societies small populations I, we've got huge populations now it's much more difficult and uh, as you say our technologies you know things aren't going to escape us these days is technology keggy um, is it the, the always the problem i mean uh, as i said karen backer believes that we now have technology that will allow us to talk to other species that will sort of make us feel as if they're part of our family um, the technologies are now that allow us to create meat without killing, um, without killing other animals. There are technologies that allow us to create clothing without killing animals. Can technology help us in all this now? Definitely, 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 definitely it can help us. Um, the technology, a lot of it is proto-technology and it's not really there. Like the ideas are there and, you know, the, the, the meat... Is that's not really there yet. It's going to be very expensive, and there's going to be huge problems about who's going to own this technology, um, and then what's going to happen with that. Uh, so there are all sorts of unintended consequences with other technology that we don't necessarily. Yeah, we know. did a show earlier this week also on synthetic biology, and my guest on the show, uh, Ted Anton, believes that it can address all the issues, but. Uh, as, as I said to him, we never quite know the unintended consequence of new technology. No, and also if, the other thing that I, that I feel is, is that these things don't do it at scale. Animals do it at scale. You know, like a, a whale defecates 50 tons of iron. That's just one whale and uh, into the uh, top layer of the, the ocean and uh, fertilizes the phytoplankton, which feeds all the other whole marine environment. Um, and that also takes away half our, half our carbon dioxide and gives us half our oxygen. Um, so that's in a massive, massive scale. Uh, so many of, of animals have been doing it for millennia. And it, there's a lot of hubris to think that we can come along and, and invent something that's going to be as good as what they have been doing. Or even why are we replacing these systems? Why are we reinventing the whale? You know, why are we, why are we, if things are not broken yet, why on earth are we not um, making these things, restoring those, those habitats and spaces where those things can happen and, and um, help the whole planetary health? I mean, so is, is that really the core argument in Beastly that, um, and, and you summarize it in, uh, in your time piece, 
saving the wolves, saving the saving the whooping cranes, uh, restoring the great kelp forests. Rather than inventing new technology, we need to become saviors of, of stuff that we've wiped out or on the brink of wiping out. I don't think it's either or. I think it's both. But I really, really think we have to recognize the value uh, the, and the intrinsic value of the animal world that because they are the maintenance crew. They maintain this blue and green planet that we live on. And yes, we do need technology. We're not going to go back to the caves. We're going to need all sorts of brilliant, you know, humans are brilliant cooperators. They're also huge competitors, but they're brilliant cooperators when they need to. And there is a lot of stuff in the pipeline that is going to be really, really helpful. And it's already being helpful, I'm sure. But the frustrating thing for me is how often animals get left out of this discussion or they get attacked on in one word, biodiversity. And nobody really can get a, a proper picture about biodiversity. You know, the person on the street just thinks it, it's just such an abstract word. It doesn't represent the <laughs> biological diversity, which is better. But it's, it's very hard to imagine what that really means. It is all of life, everything in the soil, the billions of animals in the soil, the billions of microbes, everything interacting with everything else. And um, that is what produces the food that we eat, the clean water, the oxygen we breathe. And I'm not sure, I think technology is going to help humanity live and survive, however, it's the wild world that maintains, you know, the planetary health. And um, yeah, we, 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 we would be wise to um, really understand that. And if we understood it, we would understand why we needed to save it. It wouldn't be such a, you know, a thing that um, would have to be sold in all the time because we would just naturally understand that this is a very, very important thing. And that, that is probably where, um, native peoples in different parts of the world did understand better than what than we understand because we ha we have become quite separated now from m many of us have become very separated from our natural world. Uh, Keji, often we don't when we look back at history we shake our heads and think to ourselves how could those people have allowed that when we think of the history of slavery for example or mm. feudalism or of putting men above women and women not having any rights. Do you think in 100 or 200 years, we might look back at the 20th or 21st century and shake our heads when we think of chicken farms or other industrial ways of treating and killing other creatures? Yeah, I do, actually. I mean, E.O. Wilson, the great E.O. Wilson, the late great, um, he, he thought that it would be the thing that our... Um, in the future that it would be the thing that would be most difficult to forgive was uh, the loss of uh, bio, uh, diversity of genetic and species diversity through the destruction of the ha their habitats so he thought to lose i mean if you think about it you know it took 3.8 billion years to build a rhino there's two north northern white rhinos left they're both female it <laughs> big animals to lose when we know so much you know we know so much about uh, our science now does tell us an awful lot about how how things live what how, what importance they are it's an extraordinary thing to lose um so 
to, to be in a situation where so many things are, are, are not viable anymore. They can't, they don't have viable, they don't have enough shelters, food, space. Mm. What, what do you make of the Jurassic Park? Uh, you mean de-extinction? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, no, it's really, really, that really even more terrifying. I think that's terrifying. I think, and what a waste of money. And, and, and how awful for the poor mammoths or whoever it is going to have to come back to a world that just won't, hasn't got room for them. You know, it's hard enough for the creatures that we have. But, but you know, on, on, on the fabulously exciting side, there are some fantastic um, projects across the world that are restoring nature in these huge tracks and and even small tracks if we um, if we start connecting it's amazingly uh, fast how nature is able to restore itself how quickly invertebrate life can come back um if we give it a chance and if we you know i mean we have to be careful for our own health as well i mean there is more insecticide in human breast milk than in cow's milk. That's pretty scary. You know, we, we need to look after our own health as much as the planet's health. And um, we have to find new, a uh, new paradigm of how we live with the, with the animal world. Um, we've had Isabel Tree on the show. She's, of course, one of the pioneers of the rewilding movement. Uh, you, uh, you live in the countryside in England too, like Tree. Are you a, a supporter of this idea of rewilding? Yes, definitely. Yes, and it, it, it's had a, you know, I mean, people are a bit scared of it in some, you know, rewilding is going to have wolves running around the street. It's not like that. It's actually what it is. It's a really brilliant ecological reboot to restore nature using animals that know how to do it really, really well. So it, it is uh, bringing, um, helping with flood defences, helping with uh, restore the soil, helping with pollution, helping all sorts of things. And it, it filters out and it's um, usually it's not taking good agricultural away from, away from crops or uh, land for um, food production. It's usually marginal land, and it's. I think it's a brilliant, brilliant thing. And um, they've done some wonderful work uh, at NEP, and and it's spreading out. But it is sometimes misunderstood as being this sort of you know threat to agriculture, and uh, mm. it's going to be overrun with wolves. But but books have an important role too. Your new book, um, Beastly: A New History of Animals and Us, is an important contribution to the literature. You're enormously well read. You have a, a selected uh, bibliography of, of six pages of, uh, of, of single space books. You mentioned E.O. E. Wilson. In addition to yours, could you suggest a couple of other books as introductions to people uh, on what we humans have done? Well, I think that you've got to read Andrea Wolf's The Invention of Nature. And that is just a brilliant book about Alexander von Humboldt, who who understood the interrelations and the community of animals. So that's it's really brilliantly. He was a brilliant, brilliant describer of his extraordinary travels um, through South America. So it's a fantastic book. There's Helen Scales, The Brilliant Abyss, which is about the marine world and the threats, the, the, the threats of mining to come. She's a brilliant scientist and a brilliant writer. 
Um, Gaia Vince has come out with a book called Nomad Century about how climate change is going to completely reshape this world and how, how what's going to happen with the vast migration that's going to inevitably have to happen. Um, there's Dave Goulson's Silent Earth, which is all about insect apocalypse, really. <laughs> uh, but it's... It's all fascinating stuff. And then there's just some of the old books, some of the old, you know, like I think as far as understanding, there's Peter Godfrey Smith wrote a book called Other Minds, um, The Octopus and the Evolution of Intelligent Life. And then there's, of course, Franz de Waal, who wrote Are We Smart Enough to Know How Smart Animals Are? That's that's brilliantly fascinating and incredibly easy, good read. Um, So there's a few. There's a few. Finally, Keggy, uh, uh, um, I, I wonder whether it's any coincidence um, that we seem to be discovering what you're arguing in Beastly at the same time as we ourselves are discovering potentially a new master, artificial intelligence, AI, which some people believe is going to quote-unquote, enslavers, I guess, turn us into beasts or have the same experience as other beasts. Is there any coincidence, do you think, to the fact that we're beginning to regret what we've done to nature at the very time where we human beings, our perch on the top of Aristotle's tree is, um, is being questioned, that tree is being shaken by smart machines? Mm. What you mean? You're, we're going to be usurped by it? Yeah, well, it, that 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 that's a kind of beautiful. Um, <laughs> it's like fiction, isn't it? It's a beautiful. Um, well, it would be an appropriately uh, Greek ending to our narrative. Yeah, no, beautiful storyline. I mean, I I'm not sure about this about AI taking over the world because I can't see why we can't just pull out the plug. Um, but maybe I really don't quite understand. <laughs> uh, I'm for some reason not totally terrified by AI like like a lot of people are, but that might just be because I'm so um, completely uh, driven to try and communicate how important animals are that I feel that 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 is for me the biggest story in town at the moment is to to get and it's not just it's really to get that out of the echo chamber because you know it. it it's the person on the street. If we're not behind, if we're not, if we don't understand these things, we're not going to want to change how we live. So, you know, we do eat too much, too much meat. I, I'm not a, I'm not a vegetarian, but I eat an awful lot less meat, and I know where it comes from now, and I pay a lot more for it. But it, I pay about the same because I eat so much less of it. And those are things that, that we, as a, you know, the first world anyway is certainly going to have to do if we're going to save some of the the habitat that we need to save and stop this huge juggernaut, this human juggernaut, you know, eventually wiping us out. I'm sure we will stop it, but when, I don't know, you know, we're not doing enough by any means. And we do have this incredible maintenance crew out there that, that when we provide the space for them, they do extraordinary jobs. I mean, the aerial views of the burnt out across the um, America, Northern America, the terrible fires, there's great, there's these emerald green ribbons and that's the work of beavers. The the, the part of the land that's saved was the, is because there's beavers there. 
creating this extraordinary, the re re returning the, the land to a sponge, which is what it should be in those places. So, you know, we could we could learn a lot from animals, and, and we need to be maybe students of nature rather than stewards of <laughs> nature. <laughs>